Good to be gathered together this morning. Um, Thank you, Trevor, for those announcements. I have a few of my own. Um, I want to just update you on the way forward. Many of you might have already received this update through our our social media platforms where I address everyone through a video, also try to post it. Uh, It's it's also on the front page of our website now titled The Way Forward. We want to talk about how are we going to move forward in the midst of this unique season. Well, there are four ways that we are moving forward. It's important for us to know as a church that our our mission is still disciples who make disciples to impact the city of St. Pete for Jesus. That is still our mission. We're still on that mission together. But what's the way forward uh, during this unique time? How can we continue to be on that mission together uh, in this season? Well, number one, we're going to continue to do Sunday gatherings via live stream. So every Sunday at 10 a.m., we're going to live stream our Sunday gatherings. And this is an online gathering for the entire church, and we're encouraging you to invite friends and family. Um, It's crazy. I think last Sunday's service had over 2,000 people view it. Uh, And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, where are all these people coming from? Uh, but I, I'm excited about word getting out to people maybe uh, in churches that don't have live stream yet or uh, maybe people who aren't a part of a church yet or who are in the area wanting uh, to get to know who we are as a church. Um, but there are people who are tuning in and we're excited about that. But let's continue to get the word out about our live streaming gatherings on Sunday mornings. And we, we just want to let you know we're, we'll continue to go through our series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this morning we're taking a break from that series. Um, so we want to encourage you, keep following along. And then second, uh, the second way forward is through house groups. But we're doing digital house groups now. And this will be throughout the week. Your house group leader will be reaching out to you with what time this digital house group will gather. We're using technology called Zoom. Many of you might be familiar with it. If you're having to work remotely at home, maybe your company is starting to use Zoom. It's a great platform uh, for us to use and still stay in community. We used this just this earlier this week with our leadership team meeting. It was a lot of fun. We had like uh, 20 people together uh, on, on the computer screen. And whenever you speak, you're, you're, you're your face gets front and center and everyone hears and you interact. It's like you're in a, a room together. It's a lot of fun. I want to encourage you, please, uh, be on the lookout for uh, in, uh, just a, a link from your house group leader to that digital house group. Uh, so to be invited into a Zoom conversation is completely free. It's not going to cost you anything. And, and so please be on the lookout for that. And, and be in, uh, mindful of others who aren't in house group yet and invite them in. If you're not in a house group, listen, This is the time to connect with a house group. Very important. We want to make sure we're providing care uh, for for everyone here at Local Church St. Pete. And so maybe you've just not been able to get out at night. Maybe uh, you've you've had some limitations in your work schedule. Well, now you have the opportunity to connect digitally. And and, and you can pick any house group uh, right now. We have eight house groups going on. And, and if you would, just go on our website the way you normally would. Um, go down to groups. Pick a group that's near you or that, a time that works for you and reach out to that group leader and they will get back to you with a link of how to connect digitally to that house group. So that's second. Third, we're doing digital prayer gatherings every single Wednesday morning, 7 to 8. That's also going to be a Zoom meeting. I'll be leading that Zoom gathering, and we'll put a link publicly in social media. We'll get an email out so that you can click on that link and join uh, our prayer meeting, our prayer gathering, every, every Wednesday morning, 7 to 8. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and then we'll also do every second Tuesday of the, of the month uh, from 7 to 8 p.m., 
uh, a prayer gathering. Now is the time, church. Now is the time, more than ever, to be a people who are shaped by expectation and dependency, a people of prayer. That's our first core desire. If you've been at local church for any length of time, uh, you, you should know by now that we have some core desires that we listed out in the beginning of this, of this church. And we're continuing to pray through those core desires. And the first one is that we would be a people of expectation and dependency, a people of prayer. So now is the time. And, you know, I can't help but wonder, how is God going to use this, this unique season, these circumstances, to help shape his church and reach people in the city that we love. How's he going to do that? Well, I know one of the primary means that he's invited us in on this mission is through prayer. So let's be praying together. I want to invite you to these digital prayer gatherings. Uh, even if you can only come for 15 minutes, join, join me at these Zoom gatherings, um, and we'll just we'll figure out Zoom together, okay? Don't let it scare you. <laughs> let's just, if, if you've never used it before, let's just figure it out together. And then finally, we're having uh, times of worship through song. We just enjoyed a time on Facebook Live last night. We had uh, uh, an hour of worship uh, through song, and we're going to continue to do that from time to time because we need to sing. Uh, we need to sing songs of hope and praise to God. They bring pers- it, it brings perspective, right? And it, and it just lifts our spirits. Also, we'll have times of Q&A, open conversations about being disciples who are making disciples, and we'll also offer classes. We're going to move forward and, and try to keep some of the same rhythms that we've enjoyed as a church. Things like start here and belong here. Belong here is our membership class that we offer quarterly. We're still going to have it. It's just going to look a little different. It's going to look digital. It's, gonna, it's going to probably be on the platform of Zoom as well. And we're going to offer classes moving forward. So four things. Sunday gatherings will be live streamed. Digital house groups are going to continue to happen, begin to happen. Uh, third, digital prayer gatherings will begin to happen And then fourth, we're going to have different expressions of worship and interaction through various means, uh, social media and Zoom. I'm excited about the way forward. I am. I have a lot of questions like you do, a lot of unanswered questions, but I'm, I'm excited that we can continue as a church to gather. God has blessed us with technology, and we're trying to harness that technology and figure it out. Um, So thank you for your patience, but thank you also for your, your participation for jumping in with us. Uh, Let's move forward together in unity. And as Trevor said, where there are needs, those needs can be expressed through digital house group so that needs can be made known. If you're sick, if you're uh, more vulnerable uh, to, to the virus, maybe you're older and you can't get out, you can't get the essentials that you need at the grocery store, we wanna know. We're gonna help you, but we have to know. If, if you're struggling, if there's a hardship that you're facing, we want to know about it. And the best way to make it known is through house group, through digital house group. So please connect with the digital house group. Obviously, you can reach us at any time. You can reach out to me, to Katie, who's the church admin, at info at localchurchstpete.com, and we'll, we'll get that and be able to respond. Open your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 2. All of us are battling anxiety and fear. I don't care who you are. You've experienced it. I I know I have. I mean, earlier this week, I felt tension in the back of my head and in my neck. I felt a little tightening in my chest. You don't even realize what's happening until you're kind of in it. 
You're just hearing all this information. You're trying to figure out, all right, what are we doing? I mean, and then there's just the regular stuff of life. We had swarming subterranean termites uh, this week. I, I broke a dental implant I, I, in half, all right? These are just the, reg, this is the regular stuff of life in the midst of the chaos of, of what we're going through. And, and I, was, I was anxious, trying to figure out the way forward regarding church life and community life, thinking about you, honestly, like what is this going to mean for jobs and families, kids who are staying home from school, the added pressure on moms and dads, trying to figure this out, trying to work from home with kids just like screaming and <laughs> crying and just trying to comfort them. There's a new norm. There's a new rhythm that we're trying to all find. And it can produce real anxiety and fear. All of us can struggle with insecurity and doubt. Especially when we face a crisis like the one we're facing now. Right? You ever tempted to think God has forgotten you? Or wonder if he's actually going to intervene and do something about this brokenness? I imagine thoughts like this might be swirling around in your head and heart this week. Well, Exodus chapters 2 and 3, actually, God answers the anxieties and fears that are found in Moses. I mean, this great hero of faith, right? But before he becomes this courageous leader, leading Israel out of Egyptian slavery, the man is just riddled with fear and anxiety and insecurity. And we get just this front row seat on those anxieties just being played out before us in Exodus chapter 2 and 3. And God's answer to Moses is as relevant as ever. So I'm excited for us to explore this together here this morning. But before we get into Exodus chapter 2 and 3, I want to provide a little bit of background. Moses was miraculously saved from the slaughter of a wicked pharaoh. As a baby, he was placed in a basket in the Nile River. You might have heard this story before. And Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, found Moses. He must have been a really cute kid because she decided to keep him. And then she raised him. Now, having grown up, he went out and watched his own people live and work in this harsh environment, harsh conditions. They were enslaved by Egypt. One day, he actually saw an Egyptian being beaten, or he, rather an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And Moses is like, man, that's my people. And so he actually killed this Egyptian and then buried him in the sand. Thought he could get away with it. The next day, he's out and about and he sees two Israelites fighting and, and he addresses them. He's like, hey, why are you hitting one another? And the one who was, was hitting the other person, he says, hey, who, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking about killing me too? And it dawned on Moses in that moment, they know? Oh, that means the rulers of Egypt know. I'm found out. I got to get out of here. And he did. He hightailed out of there. He left Egypt. He fled for his life. And he eventually finds a wife. He becomes a shepherd. He starts a family. But he's completely distanced himself from his upbringing and from his people. So we're 40 years, right, from, from that past that I just described. So 40 years later, his past still haunts him still haunts him. He felt so out of place, he actually named his firstborn son Gershom. 
which means an alien here. He felt like an alien. He felt completely separated. And that's where we are. Exodus chapter 2, with that background in mind, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant, his promise with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses, he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you, you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Three things this morning I pray we see here. First, God's concern and God's choice. Second, Moses' insecurities and fears. And then third, God's answer. First, we see God's concern and choice. 
The Israelites have been under the oppressive arm of Egypt for hundreds of years by this time. I mean, they're suffering a great injustice. I mean, the pain is real. The condition felt absolutely hopeless, and they cried to God for help. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we find out that God heard their cry. He remembered them. He saw or he looked upon them, and he was concerned. And the word really is he knew, he understood what they were facing. After this announcement, there's this anticipation that God's going to act. I mean, if he sees and he hears and he knows, I mean, certainly he's going to act, right? But how? How is God going to intervene? And then we run into Moses in chapter 3, who is just simply doing what he always did. I mean, he's tending the flock. And then he saw something strange. And I'm sure he does this double take. I mean, he knew the terrain. He knew the mountain where he was uh, uh, bringing his flock. He understood the plants. He knew the weather patterns. He knew that what he saw before his eyes, it just wasn't normal. He's thinking, what in the world? This bush that is on fire that isn't consumed. This flame that is engulfing a bush that needs nothing outside of itself to be a flame, to be sustained. What is going on? And so with some butterflies in his stomach, I imagine that he thought, I, I got to go check this out. He starts to draw near to this bush. I imagine a little bit like a cat approaching this object that he's unfamiliar with you ever see a cat do that like kind of creeping along and then when he's spooked he kind of jumps back that's how i picture moses it's right in that moment as he's creeping towards the bush the burning bush that god calls moses by name moses moses there's this double emphasis I'm sure he jumped back. He calls to him personally. And Moses says, here I am. And God says to him, don't come any closer. Why? Why? You just call my name. (laughs) Moses, as he's approaching God, has to stop. And I imagine the conversation could look like this. Moses, you might be curious what's going on here, but... I got something to tell you, Moses. I am holy. That's essentially what God tells him. God is, that he is holy. Now this is one of the first places in scripture that we actually see the word holy. Holy means set apart. It means consecrated. He is without sin. He's pure. You know, God is, there's a lot of attributes that describe God. He's loving. He's just. He's compassionate. He's good. But think about this. God is holy. And the angels all cry out, not just a double emphasis, but a triple emphasis on his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. We sang it this morning like an exclamation point with every time we sing it. Holy. God is holy, so his love is holy love. His goodness is holy goodness. His justice is holy. He is right and pure in every way. Spotless, sinless, holy. Set apart. He is wholly other. Right? Think of it that way. So God sets the boundaries for Moses. He doesn't push Moses away, but he does direct Moses on how to come near, how to approach him. 
And so we, we see that God is compassionate because he cares about the Israelites' condition and what they're facing. We see that he's personal and he's active. I mean, he's speaking personally to Moses. He's all of these things, but he is holy. And there's a particular way that we're to approach a holy God. And we learn that in the storyline of the Bible. That we just don't flippantly approach God however we want. But he's laid out a way. We don't call the shots. He does. Where Moses was standing was holy ground. It was a sacred place, and not because that ground was special in itself, but because of God's presence. God's holy presence. And and fire in Scripture is actually a symbol of God's presence and holiness. God is present. God is holy. And if we're not really too careful, then we can quickly move on from God's holiness and presence. We forget. I mean, we're forgetful, all of us. We, we get used to things. They be, it just becomes commonplace. We downplay it after a while. We grow overly comfortable with certain attributes of God. And we can speak very flippantly about his holiness. If we're not careful, the awe, that awe factor, it can subside. And the reverence just kind of disappears. Maybe you're in that place where you once stood in awe of God. Right? You, you once had this deep reverence for the reality of God's holiness. But it's just subsided. You've lost some of that awe factor. Maybe this morning, that'll come back to you. Maybe in the next few minutes, you can just say, Lord, would you bring that back? Would would you just bring that awe factor back? Would you help me to stand in awe of you? Would you help me to see you for who you are and let that impact my life? We lose it. That awe subsides, and it's not because God is any different, but because we've stopped seeing him for who he really is. And oftentimes, and it's dangerous, we can come up with a God of our own imagination, a God of our own making. But Scripture helps just keep it front and center. God is holy. And he makes it very plain to Moses. Now, it's a good thing that God is holy. I mean, think about it. If God wasn't holy, if he wasn't right and pure and sinless, he would not be perfect. We could not trust him. He would not be right in all of his ways. But he is holy. So after telling Moses how to approach him, God makes himself known to Moses in verse 6. And at this, Moses hides his face. He says, Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses is like, oh my. And he hides his face. And in this moment, whatever Moses knew about the God of his fathers, it just comes rushing into his mind. And so there are different names for God throughout Scripture. So I wonder if El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, came rushing into Moses' mind and all the stories that he would have heard. Uh, uh, and, And so here, the God who is powerful when and where his people are the weakest and that's what god almighty is maybe he had heard before about this god almighty i'm sure he had but now he's encountering god almighty and he hides his face he's afraid to look and it makes sense listen that makes sense have you ever been so nervous that you just lose your breath or swallow hard after a half breath This is how I picture Moses. 
eyes just filling with tears, not in his throat, unsure if the, the Lord's holiness is going to strike him down. I mean, he's got nowhere to hide, so he pulls his hoodie over his head. Nowhere to hide. He hides his face. He's wondering what's going to happen next. He doesn't know. And God breaks through the tension with this expressed concern and compassion. God breaks through the tension with a personal mission statement and an unexpected choice and commissioning of Moses himself. But let's begin with verse 7 here in in chapter 3. What does God say? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying and because of their slave because of their slave drivers and i'm concerned about their suffering so i've come down i've come down to rescue them i've come down to rescue them from the hand of the egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land i have seen i have heard i'm concerned and i've come down to rescue this passage means so much to me personally I remember uh, reading this passage at a time where I had no control over the circumstances that were in front of me. I know that you've heard this before if you've been at local for any length of time, but uh, my wife Valerie has a brain tumor. It's not cancerous, but she's been operated on many times, and it was a very, very uh, fearful time in our life. This is before we had kids. It's been a long time. Doctor said she's going to die of old age. Uh, I'll go before her. That's what the doctor said. So we're good. Uh, But... During that season, I, we, we didn't know what was going on. And there was a moment where she was intubated. She was, uh, they were having to do another surgery on her brain. And I, I was really scared. And at the time, this, this is going to show you how old this, this story is. I had a PDA um, where you would sync your, it was a personal device where you'd get like devotions and emails sometimes. You couldn't talk on the phone. Anyway. It, it was an old device, which I loved. I thought it was really cool. But I got this, this uh, devotional sent to me by Charles Spurgeon, and he was talking about this verse. But I remember reading it. I was literally just crying. I was crying. I went to the bathroom in the hospital. I'd been sleeping in the waiting room, waiting to see what was going to happen to her. And, and I remember reading this passage, and it just it hit me uh, in such a personal way. And really, church, that's been my prayer. As we face the uncertainty of tomorrow and next month and the month after, I want this passage to come alive in our hearts. I want us to fall on this passage again and again. God sees, he hears, he's concerned, and he rescues. How would these words have felt to Moses? How do they feel to you? I want you to listen as if you yourself were caught in slavery. I mean, with no way out. Think about sorrow and despair just kind of filling your heart like a drug. Truth is, apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. Hebrews reminds us that actually we're slaves to the fear of death, but Jesus came to set us free from our slavery to the fear of death. Here's what God is saying. I know their sorrows. Moses, I know your sorrows. Church, sometimes all we need is to know that someone else knows. I don't need someone 
to give me an answer to what I'm facing sometimes. I just want to tell somebody. And I just want to know that they know and that they care. Do you feel like there's no way out right now? That no one understands? That no one actually knows what you are experiencing? I mean, hey, we're all facing isolation. And with that can come depression and fear. We all experience a level of that. But maybe you're experiencing something that you're thinking, uh, people don't know even what I was going through before this, and now this And so the pain and the anxiety, it's all-encompassing. It's all-consuming. I have some good news for you. God knows your sorrow. Psalm 139 reminds us He knows the word on our tongue before we even speak it. There's nowhere that we can hide from God's Spirit. Psalm 139 reminds us that even darkness itself is not dark to God. He knows. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So it's a sobering thought, right? Because those things that we think God doesn't know about or, th- or you know, he's not aware of, oh, he sees it all. So that's sobering. It's like my kids who are doing something uh, and they don't know that I'm standing right there. And I'm like, hey, I saw that. That's messed up. I heard what you just said to your brother. That's messed up. And they're like, Ugh. there's nothing they can do. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So it's sobering, but it's also comforting. Let's read it again. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Oh. Even at a a micro level, this virus, even at a level that no one knows what's going on in my heart and mind, God, you know. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. I want us to find comfort in that. Yes, it's sobering, but also it should be comforting. Every problem we face, every anxiety we feel, every fear, God knows it. And there are no easy answers, there's no easy fix to our suffering But the truth remains. Verse 8 of chapter 3, I have come down to rescue them. That's what God said. What truth remains for us today, regardless of tomorrow? That God has come down to rescue us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God has come to rescue us, to lead us out of slavery to sin and out of slavery to fear. Here, as he announces to Moses, I've come down to rescue them. He's thinking, all right, God's on the move. This is great. What's he going to do? And then in verse 10, God says, so now go. I'm sending you, Moses. 
Now, you might expect Moses to say something like, finally. I mean, this is what I've been waiting for ever since I killed that Egyptian 40 years ago. Let's do this. You know, roll up his sleeves. Let's go. Moses doesn't say that. Number two, Moses' insecurities and fears. Here's, here's how Moses responds to God's commissioning, to God's announcement and his choice of Moses. Who am I? Who, who am I? Isn't there someone else? Who am I that I should go? I mean, I tried this role of deliverer years ago and I failed miserably. So what kind of encouragement would you expect God to give Moses in the midst of his insecurities and anxieties? Maybe you'd expect something like, oh, Moses, come on, man. You've you got some wonderful qualities. You're a mighty leader. Just look inside and you'll find the warrior you, Moses. You'll find the courageous you, Moses. And not to mention, you're incredibly handsome for your age, Moses. No. No, it's much better than that. God says in verse 12 to Moses, I will be with you. And then he gives a sign to Moses. When you, singular, have brought the people out, you, plural, will worship God on this mountain. He says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And here's what you can bank on. You are going to bring the people and then you as a whole will come and worship God. It's going to happen. Deliverance is going to happen. And I will be with you. And so God answers Moses' insecurities with what? With the promise of his presence. This is really the main point of the message. That God is answering our fears and anxieties with the promise of his presence. And the New Testament took this and just ran with it because it's the truth that has been weaved throughout the storyline of Scripture. I mean, God told Joshua when they were moving into the land of promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it was go time for Joshua. It was go time for the people of Israel to take that land that God had promised. And then later in the New Testament, we see these, these beautiful uh, passages. I, I want to read a couple, and I want us to hold on to them during this season. As we move forward, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul just kind of drops that right there. Oh, it's so sweet. The Lord is near. Just chew on that for a while. Just, just take that with you this week. The Lord is near. When you're pumping gas, just think the Lord, the Lord is near. When you're going to the grocery store with that mask on, the Lord is near. Wherever you are, when your kid is just yelling and screaming and you're trying to like work, the, the, Lord, the Lord is near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's what will happen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. God's peace, which transcends all understanding. You can't understand it. 
It, it goes beyond. We'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the fact that God cares for us speaks of his compassion, of his active presence, of his nearness, his presence. You know, when when Silas, my my youngest, is afraid, he just comes running, running to me. So I'm out on a walk yesterday with him. Around that 4.30 to 5.30 hour, I just take him from Valerie so she can just rest and clear her mind a little bit. So I I take him around the block. We go for a couple laps in the wagon. I let him pull the wagon. We're looking at birds and squirrels. And then the UPS truck comes by and just totally disturbs us. Just coming around the corner really fast. Silas sees the UPS truck and he's like, (laughs) he's freaking out. And he comes running to my legs. And I'm just like, that's awesome. I love this. He's hugging me. I'm like, I wish the UPS truck would go by again. He'd just kind of stay here. All right. But the the truth is, listen, when, when Silas is scared, he wants to know I'm near. And if I'm near, he doesn't cry. He knows he's safe. Do you know that God is near? How does that minister to your heart? God could have delivered Israel by any means, but he chose a representative, an ambassador, someone who would speak and carry his word. And Moses expresses all kinds of insecurities and anxieties and feelings of inadequacy in, this, in a series of questions that he just launches out at God. In, in, in 3.11, chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Who am I? In chapter 3, verse 13, what will I tell them? In chapter 4, verse 1, well, what if they don't believe me? In chapter 4, verse 10, I've never been eloquent. And then eventually, in chapter 4, verse 13, he just says, please, please use someone else. He goes from hiding his face to arguing with God. Doesn't sound like a hero of faith to me. But the great men and women of old were messed up, just like you and I are, yet the Lord chose to use them and show himself faithful through them. That encourages my heart. Because let me tell you right now, 11.45, Wednesday night, I had a lot of anxieties and a lot of questions that I was just rattling off to God. Middle of the night, family's asleep, I'm trying to just get work done, trying to figure things out, and anxiety just kind of hit me. Thoughts like this, I'm not leading the church well through this. I don't even know what to do next. God, well, how do we we navigate this? This is unprecedented. What am I doing? And God in that moment just reminded me how much I sounded like Moses. Who am I? Send someone else. He put me in my place. He reminded me of how much I was like Moses in that moment and how much I needed to trust his presence, his nearness, his empowerment. And then I went to bed. And I woke up and I felt a lot better. Sometimes you just need to sleep. But God did convict me. And I'm thankful for that conviction. Because I do believe he gave us some clear direction this week. And a clear way forward as a church. And it's not because I've got everything figured out. 
It's because he's faithful. Moses says, I'm not adequate. And you know what God's reply is? No, you're not, but I am. It's essentially what he's saying. I will be with you, and I'm with you here and now. Finally, God's answer. Verse 13, he answers Moses in a very special way. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, oh, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Throughout scripture, a title or a name describes, often describes an activity. And the Israelites would want to know, I mean, what does his name mean for us in light of our circumstances? Who is this God you're representing, Moses? Essentially, the name I am, some translate it, I will be what I will be. You see, this divine name, which is what it is, Yahweh, this divine name is actually, has a connection with the Hebrew verb to be. And so some, are, some translate it, I will be what I will be. Others translate it, he who is. This is Yahweh. It communicates independence, self-existence, but most of all, active presence. Think, think about this. He's saying, I am the ever-present, all-powerful, personal God who is with you in the mundane, everyday decisions of life and who is with you on the front lines of your greatest fears. Who do I say sent me? I am. I am. He who is the ever-present God. His name is an invitation to faith. Then he says, say to the Israelites in verse 15, say to the Israelites, he's, he's telling Moses, say to them, tell them, tell them who has sent you, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, because promises were made hundreds of years prior, and, and I'm going to keep those promises, Moses. Tell them that. God calls Moses to speak his word and I can't help but think about Jesus in Matthew 28 as he is about to ascend into heaven. He leaves his disciples this way. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And know this, I am with you. I am with you always. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus actually equates himself with the I am of Exodus 3. I miss how bold Jesus was. And people say, oh, come on, where does Jesus equate himself with God? Go to John chapter 8 at some point, verse 58, and you see what happened there. And they picked up stones to kill him because he was, he was equating himself with, with I am. Why would Jesus do something like this? Because Jesus came on a rescue mission to do something about our suffering. Jesus answers our insecurities and our fears with the promise of his presence. God answers, God's answer rather to Israel's suffering in this story, God's answer to Moses' insecurities, God's answer to our fear, to our fear, to your fear, is his very presence. 
Is God's answer enough for us? What else could God give beyond His presence? Jesus, He stepped into time. He entered the broken world we live in, space and time. He took on the stuff we're made of, flesh and blood. Why? He was on a rescue mission to provide redemption because God sees and he hears and he's concerned and he's come to do something about our brokenness. God has done something about our brokenness. He's entered our broken world in the person of Jesus and he's come to rescue. I want to close by reading a passage in Hebrews 13. They're pulling from the Old Testament stories again. And and, and, in Hebrews 13, verse 5, he goes on to say, never will I leave you. He's quoting what God, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? What can man do to me? What can virus do to me? What can anything or anyone do to me? Nothing will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Church, let's hold on to that as we move forward. We're moving forward. We're on mission together. God is at work. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Let God answer your anxieties And I need to let God answer my anxieties with the reality of his presence and the reality of Jesus. So church, together, can we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Can we let that be a kind reminder that God is anything but indifferent, that he loves us, that he sees and that he knows and he cares? Let's bring him our anxieties and fears. They are no match for him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reality of your presence. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for the rescue operation of Jesus, our Savior, that reminds us that you are anything but indifferent to our experience and our brokenness. That you see and you hear and you're concerned and you've come down to rescue us. Rescue us out of sin. Rescue us out of fear of death. Rescue us out of shame. Rescue us from Satan. Rescue us from our own demise. Rescue us. Lord, that's what you've come to do. We give you praise for it. Keep our eyes fixed on the reality of that. In Jesus' name, amen.